I began this sermon series on prayer by confessing to you, and I think I've said it several times, that I'm not good at praying. And that's not that I don't pray good prayers, I just don't pray as much as I should. And there's a lot of reasons for that, kind of a control freak. And so it should be no shock to me or you, and it's no shock to the people around me that because I don't pray like I should, my biggest struggle in life is anxiety, worry. I, I am constantly racked with anxiety and worry as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. I get anxious about being anxious. During Eric's prayer, he is praying about not worrying, and I begin to get worried that I'm such a worrier, and I am constantly haunted by worry and anxiety. And John Martin has said to me before, for Jeremy, every silver lining has a dark cloud. And that's just the way that I live. I tell myself, if I prepare for the worst case scenario, then I will always be happy because it'll never happen. The worst thing's never going to happen. So I prepare myself in that way. And it it irritates me that I worry, and it irritates me for folks to say things like John said about me. And just this week, we were planning our vacation, and this year, Danae and I will uh, celebrate 25 years of marriage, and so, by the way, your clapping just makes me more anxious, (laughs) because I have yet to get this trip planned. And it's driving me crazy. But dude, thank you, thank you, thank you. But we're planning this vacation. And in my plan, we were going to go somewhere. And we were going to be there for, for a short time, just Danae and I. And then the kids could fly down and, and join us later. And I was telling one of our children about this plan and trying to work it out. And Danae just interrupted me and said, no, I think we're going to do that the opposite way. The kids are going to be with us first, and then we will be together by ourselves the the next part of that vacation. And I looked at her and said, but that's not my plan. Like, that's not what I want to do and what I have planned out. And why is that? And she said, well, the first part of every single vacation, you are a nervous wreck. You are uptight and you're worried about leaving things behind and it takes you several days to relax on our vacation and I would rather be alone with you after you are relaxed and after you are, have chilled out a little bit. And so the kids can be there with the terrible person, anxious person that you are. And I looked at her and said, how disrespectful is that? And why would you say that? And she said, yeah, you've really got this anxiety thing under control. And it's frustrating to me. But as frustrating as it is, the truth of Scripture is God doesn't want us to be anxious. Actually, God commands us to not be anxious. And the reason for that is anxiety is rooted in fear. Anxiety is rooted in the feeling that I'm not in control. I can't control what's in front of me. And I don't know what's going to happen next. That's where anxiety comes from. 
And God doesn't want us to be anxious because he's in control and he knows what's going to happen next. But because we're not God, the one who is in control and knows all things, anxiety is going to be a struggle in all of our lives. And there's going to be legit anxiety and illegitimate anxiety. We're going to fear things that maybe we should fear. At times, our our health, our money, uh, taking care, providing for our family, the safety of our kids. And then there's going to be times where it's just, it doesn't make sense to fear whatever in front of us. It's it's unreasonable to fear such things, to have certain phobias. It's not going to make sense. But because of sin and death in the world, the world is, in some sense, right now, because of God's design, disconnected from his good, full rule of life. God has allowed certain chaos and things to to overwhelm the world. And so that's going to make us even more anxious. We're going to have to deal with sin and death. We're going to have to deal with sickness. We're going to have to deal with natural disasters that seemingly are out of control. And that's going to exasperate our anxiety. Anxiety ranges in all of us on different levels. Some of us just at times are just uneasy about a situation. There are some of us in here who are overwhelmed at times in paralyzing terror, panic. But we all deal with this issue of anxiety. And Paul's words here are like a sword to our heart. Because God commands us here. Be happy in him, secure in his kingdom, and to not be anxious, but have peace in prayer. And this is from God's word. Anxiety can't be excused by our personality. It it, it can't just be set aside and ignored and smothered out. It's something we all have to deal with in light of God's word. Paul is writing the book of Philippians from a Roman prison cell. He is there because he was preaching the gospel. And and he writes to this church in Philippi that he planted 10 years before. And and they hear of Paul in Rome and he's in prison and they're worried about him. They are anxious about Paul's condition. What's going to happen to Paul? What's going to happen to the preaching of the gospel? And so they send Epaphroditus Epaphroditus travels some 800 miles by foot, probably by horse, by sea. It probably took him six months to get to Paul. And can you imagine this church that's waiting to hear back from Epaphroditus? What has he found out? Is Paul still alive? Is the gospel still moving forward? What's going on with Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus, Paul says, along the way almost died of exhaustion in getting this and getting a gift and an offering to Paul. And so the context here provides us with opportunity for anxiety. Paul in a Roman prison cell, Epaphroditus on this treacherous journey. There's all kinds of opportunity for anxiety. And yet... In all of the Bible, Philippians, 
is the book that commands the most joy in the midst of a horrible context that, that should drive us crazy with anxiety. Paul says, no, 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 this is all about joy. I, I can have joy in a prison cell because the gospel is true. A man like Epaphroditus can give himself over to gospel ministry and have joy even suffering for the sake of the gospel because the gospel is true. You can choose joy in the face of things that scare you. And you can choose joy in the face of anxiety and worry. You can. You can choose to have joy Even when anxiety and worry, the things that you are concerned about today, say that's absolutely impossible. Paul tells us according to God's word by the power of the Spirit in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now remember the context. Prison, serving to the point of death. But have joy. You're going to suffer, but have joy. And so we first of all see here, he calls us to find our joy in the gospel. Rejoice in the Lord. The word rejoice here, it is a command. It means to have joy. The the best way to translate it is to say, be happy. It comes from a word that could mean glee. Be excitedly happy. Rejoice. Have joy. And And he says, just in case you didn't hear me, Again, I say rejoice. He has to say it again because the command, be happy, is hard to obey, right? And you're thinking, how in the world do you just be happy? But notice what he says, rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy and happiness in the Lord. That is the command. Not generically, just be happy, don't be sad. It's be happy in the Lord. As Paul's writing to the Ephesians, he tells them to be strong in the Lord and to stand in the Lord. And the book of Ephesians ends with Paul talking about this armor of God that they are to stand in. That armor that he tells them to stand in is Christ and all that Christ provides for us. And what he's telling the Ephesians to do is be strong in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. How do you do that? You put your whole confidence in the gospel. And here he says that's where your joy is to come from. In the gospel. In the reality that Jesus has died for your sins. He has paid the price for your sin. He has lived a perfect life for you. You are accepted because of his righteousness. He has promised you a resurrection and an eternal kingdom. Have your joy there. Find your joy there. And this is where we get confused and we don't understand joy because we begin to think that our happiness so often is found in something other than Christ. Our sin tells us that there are all kinds of other things on the planet that are going to make us more happy than Jesus. Or, I've heard this, when we talk about having joy in Christ and the gospel and trusting in Jesus and looking to his cross and his righteousness, that's just irrelevant. That, that's abstract. I don't understand that. 
And what seems to be more relevant is finding our joy in things that are in front of us and that things that are, are real right now. And, and yet, those are the things that often disappoint us the most, right? Your friends, your spouse, your kids are not going to make you eternally happy. But so often, we believe that in our heart That this person, whether it's a friend, whether it's our spouse, whether it's our kids, just their presence, their acceptance in our life, that that, that, that's going to bring us ultimate joy. And, And that's why we're disappointed because relationships are hard. Conflict comes in and that person doesn't bring me joy all the time. And by the way, putting that demand on another person that they always make you happy is cruel. And it's unkind to them and it's unloving. God hasn't given you the people in your life to give you eternal joy and happiness. He's given the people in your life so that you love them. An easy life, that that will make me happy. It's just not going to happen. Life's hard. Life's difficult. And we're always looking for that perfect moment. Whether it's that vacation, whether it's In the holidays, I'm going to have that perfect moment with my family, with my friends, and we're chasing that perfect moment all the time. And and there it is. It comes. The fireworks were amazing. Wow. And then a week later, oh, yeah, we had fireworks just five days ago. Okay. And those moments come and go in our life. And we're always looking for that one moment to make us eternally happy and it's not going to happen only the gospel makes us eternal eternally happy and if you are only wanting to alleviate sadness from your life apart from the gospel it won't last it won't happen and that's what some of our goals are right now I just don't want to be sad and so and so what do we do we self-medicate things that are harmful to us whether it's alcohol, pills, or just some sort of addiction. We, we binge on the device, YouTube videos, movies. We, we, we fill our lives with something that's going to bring us momentary joy just because I don't want to be sad. And then there's good things that we do. We, we try to get healthy. We, we cut our use of our phone down. We, we change friends. We change jobs. We go to counseling. We we try to get help mentally. Things that are are good, but they're not ultimate. Only because we're trying to alleviate sadness. Well, the reality is, if you're doing that apart from the Lord and the gospel, it won't last. It won't be ultimate. And you will continually go through this cycle of chasing joy. And it comes and goes. And Paul says, no, you can stand in the Lord because of the gospel. You can stand with your sins forgiven and be happy in the cross. You can stand with your sins forgiven and be happy in his righteousness that God accepts you as a son in the son. You can find joy there As all the other fleeting joys come and go, you can stand strong and rejoice in the Lord. That's what he's calling us to. And it's possible. It's here in God's word. It is possible to be happy in the Lord. You got to figure out how to cultivate that in your life. And you need to ask the question, 
What causes me to rejoice in the Lord? Who causes me to rejoice in the Lord? The word of God causes us to rejoice in the Lord. The, the people of God cause us to rejoice in the Lord. Worship with the people of God causes us to rejoice in the Lord. And I give myself over to those things and remind me myself of the joy of the gospel. So we are to be happy in the Lord. It is a command to rejoice in the Lord, but then we're to find our security in the kingdom. Notice he says, verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now this word for reasonableness, it means to be steady. It means to be confident. It's not to be too high or too low. It can even be translated secure. Let your security be known to everyone. Your confidence, ultimately your confidence in the gospel. But he says this, the Lord is at hand. So often throughout scripture, Paul is just getting at what is said to us when, when people are scared and God comes on the scene and commands them over and over, don't be scared, I'm with you. This is what Paul's getting at here. Be steady be confident in the Lord. He is at hand. He is with you. And just a few weeks ago, we talked about how the presence of the kingdom is with us in Christ through the word by the power of the spirit. Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom is at hand in his presence. Then he gives his presence by the spirit and the word over to the church. And so we would gather here today and we would say, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is with us by the power of the Spirit and His Word and in one another, the church, where He is accomplishing His mission in the world. We are a part of what Paul is saying here when he says, the Lord is at hand. Jesus is here with you. And so you should be reasonable about the fears you face. If you claim the Creator of all things, Jesus Christ, Lord, is with you, then it's reasonable to not fear. It's unreasonable to fear if you really believe the Lord is at hand and He is with you. If you really believe this, it doesn't make any sense to, 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 to be scared. That's what He's getting at here. And He says here, other people should see your security by the way that you live. How do they do that? Well, if you're following Christ, you've been folded into his plans and purposes in the world, which is an unstoppable kingdom that has already defeated sin, that has already defeated death. Jesus is a former corpse standing at the right hand of God. This is what you are a part of. And the people you interact with should see that. You claim to be a kingdom or a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You claim in Christ to be a ruler in waiting. And so there should be a sort of a holy swagger to your life because you are secure in this unstoppable kingdom. Now, your insecurity in this life will match your commitment to try and keep safe what is passing away. Your insecurities contrary to the security of the kingdom, will match your commitment to keep safe what is passing away. The kingdoms of this world are passing away. 
So much of the stuff that we give ourselves over to is passing away. And you will be insecure to the, to the extent you're giving yourself over to keep these things safe. What do I mean by that? Your name. I, I just want to be popular. I just want to be liked. I just want to have some kind of influence. I, I, just, want, I, I just want to be known. That's going to pass away. Jesus is the only name that lasts forever. But if you give yourself over to a name now, you're going to be insecure because it's moving away. It's like the wind. It's moving away from you. It's passing away. Your safety, the stuff that we acquire, these things are fleeting. They're moving away. Life's new car smell keeps fading. It keeps moving away. And you're going to be insecure the more and more you latch your heart to the kingdom of this world. You're trying to find security in the moment, what's right in front of you, and it's moving away. And that's why you're insecure, because you feel that, and you know that, and you can't keep up with it. And Paul says, no, if you're a kingdom of heaven and the Lord is at hand with you, you should be secure in what he is doing in the world. And your security will match your investment in his kingdom. You want to know the folks who are reasonable and secure and stable? They realize this world is passing away and they give everything they got over to the kingdom of Christ. This is why Paul would say to live is Christ. Meaning, Christ is the only thing that's going to last. So while I'm alive, I'm living for Christ. And everything I got is for Christ. My life, my breath, all of my resources, my gifts, my abilities. It's all for Christ now because that's going to last forever. And then he says, and guess what? When I die, it only gets better. To live is Christ, to die is gain because then I get all of the kingdom. I'm investing in this kingdom that will not fade away. And so we find security in that. We find contentment in that. We find happiness in that when we give ourselves over to that. Find your security in the kingdom. And then the good part, where we're all looking forward to in the passage. Notice he says, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. I think we can also connect here the Lord is at hand. Do not fear anything. But again, just like rejoice, this is a command to not be anxious. Now, we, we have to let that settle because that doesn't feel right to people like me who worry a lot. And I come across that verse, do not be anxious. And I've tried to do all kinds of hermeneutical gymnastics here. Say, well, it can't really mean that. It is a clear command. Do not be anxious. And then, it's, then he says, about anything. Anything. All-inclusive. There's nothing you should be anxious about. Why? The Lord is at hand. You have the gospel. You're a part of this kingdom that's unstoppable. Now, I would add here, this isn't the hermeneutical gymnastics, but I would add here that do not fear because God will always take care of you or do not fear that God's not going to take care of you. 
He has a track record of taking care of you. The Bible is a story of God taking care of his people. And so do not fear that God's not going to take care of you. Do not think that God's not going to take care of you. That's what he's saying here. The Lord is at hand. He's going to take care of you. God always takes care of you. And so don't begin to think this time he's going to let me down. Do not be anxious in any moment in that way. Thinking, oh, we finally come across something where God can't handle this. We we, we finally run up on something and, and this time it's out of God's control. God didn't know this was going to happen. He says, don't be scared in that way about anything because God is in control of everything and God knows everything. And so it doesn't make sense for you to be scared of anything. So how do you do that? And let me just say, this is unnatural to me. This doesn't make sense to me. And some of you, and when you're like me and you're a worrier, anytime someone preaches against worrier, worrying and condemns worrying, you take it very personal. How dare they tell me not to be anxious? And then you begin to get anxious about your anxiety. It's like me. I know. I get it. So how do you do it? Just don't be anxious. Don't be scared. No, he tells us how. Notice the next part of verse 6. But in everything by prayer. So it's not just don't be scared. Stop it. It, It's remember in the Lord. Remember the security of the kingdom. And then when you are scared, pray. In prayer. In everything, he says. Every fear. Every anxiety. Even joy. Joy but also in pain and loss, success, in everything. Be in prayer. Why? You're not in control. You don't know the future. God does. And so you look to the one who does. Remember, we've talked about this definition of prayer. It is asking God to do what he said he would do. Asking God to do what he has promised he would do. And so when I am scared... When I am insecure, when I am anxious, I stop and I have to remember what God has said he would do. And I begin to focus on what God has said he would do. And I begin to ask, God, you do what you said you would do. And in whatever moment I'm scared or insecure in, he has promised he's going to take care of my needs. We just heard it. (laughs) Takes care of birds and flowers. He's going to take care of me. God, take care of me in this moment. You promised you would do that. And so instead of being scared, I pray. But notice he continues. He says, and in supplication. Now, what does this mean? It just means presenting needs, my helplessness to God. And so I realize in my anxiety that that I am helpless, that I'm not God. And so I turn to God in prayer and I acknowledge I'm not you. Help. I, I can't help myself. Help in supplication acknowledging our helplessness. But then he continues, thanksgiving. Why does Paul say that thanksgiving should be a part of our prayer? Because we are remembering and celebrating God's goodness in our prayer. And what does anxiety do to us? If you're someone who's anxious and when you start worrying, what do you do? 
You rehearse the worst case scenarios over and over and you become scared of the worst case scenarios. And yet through Thanksgiving, you are reminded that your worst case scenario has already happened on the cross. You've already died for your sins and faced eternal judgment. And then you begin to thank God for His goodness in His Word. The the Word of God is a story, Genesis to Revelation, of God's goodness. And you're pouring yourself into the Word. And you're thanking God for all He has said and all He is doing in His Word. And so you are giving Him thanks. You are rehearsing what God has said He would do instead of rehearsing the worst possible things that could happen in your mind. You're telling yourself what is true. Instead of having a conversation with yourself, you're having a conversation with God. That's how you fight anxiety. Prayer, presenting your needs, thanking God, letting your requests be known, your cares. I'm weak. I need you in this moment, God. I need your help. Now, I don't believe the initial fear that leads to anxiety is sin. I don't believe the initial, hear me, insecurity, the initial fear that leads to anxiety is sinful. God has designed us to feel the reality that we're not God and we're not in control. And that's going to happen to us a lot as humans. We're going to walk around and there are going to be things that scare us that we go, whoa, I can't handle that. And initially, that's not sin. It is a symptom. It is a signal that you're not God. The, the fight or flight feelings that come, come, that, that come over us. That's how we're wired up to understand you're not God. Now we also understand that there are Disorders and because of the fall, our brains, the, the, those feelings can be in overdrive at times. And some of us struggle with that more than others. That's a reality. But I don't believe the initial insecurity is sin. It is a signal from God to say, you're not me. And in moments of life, it's just like in the, the sound of thunder, boom. What does the small child do? grabs their father. Where's dad? And God has built that within us to turn to him. And so it's not sin initially. And it's not sin when you turn to God. When it becomes sin is when you ignore that. And when you ignore God's control and God's provision in the world and you turn to self and you begin to whine and complain against God. Here's the moment. I'm not in control. I guess God's not in control either. This is going to be horrible. I can't believe I'm going through this. And you begin to whine and you begin to complain and you choose misery over God. You, you, you choose the, 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 the self-centered, self-protecting route of anxiety instead of choosing God through prayer and trusting Him. That's where it becomes sin. When you begin to go over every worst case scenario in your mind. What is, it? what is this spot on my face? Well, let me Google spot on the face. It's brown and it's this big. 
Well, it could possibly be skin cancer. It could possibly be an infected pimple. It could possibly be this. Oh, it's got to be cancer. And then you Google cancer on the face. And then you spend a week paralyzed in fear. Listen, I've been down that road. I know. Some of you said he's preaching to me. No, I'm preaching to me. And then you begin to, you you head down this road where you begin to tell yourself the worst possible thing. It's going to happen. And what have you done? You've forgotten God along the way. Oh, there's a stomach flu at school. Everybody get airborne. Everybody's drinking airborne for dinner. Wash your hands. Oh my goodness, you're sniffling. We're all, go- we're all going to have the flu. Oh my goodness, everybody go get in their rooms and get away from me. I have to preach on Sunday. That was me. That's happened in my house. But that's, that's how we do with anxiety. And by the way, anxious people are some of the most organized, efficient people on the planet. They are. But it's driven out of worry and control. If you want somebody to get something done, you find a worrier or someone who's anxious. And they'll get it done because they'll worry you and everybody else about it until it's done. And we walk up on things and we, oh, is this going to get done? Is this going to be fixed? Let me figure it out. Let me take control over it. And instead of turning to God in prayer, Instead of taking that, that, that feeling to God in prayer, we begin to waste all kinds of mental energy. We begin to waste all kinds of, uh, of time fixating on what is going to destroy everything. And it drives ourselves and other people crazy. Now, this bridge from anxiety to God is way more treacherous for some of us than others. Like, I'm, I'm preaching today that you should, when you have that fear insecurity, you should turn to God. And some of you, you look at that bridge from your fear to God, and all the planks are there. It's a nice, pretty bridge. It's designed perfectly. And, okay, I'm an anxious person, and what I should do is I should, I should get in the Word, and I should be in prayer. I should be around the community. I, I should dwell on the gospel, and you're going to walk right across that bridge with no problem. But then there's other people here, and I'm talking about walking across that bridge, and all you see is a broken down, shabby bridge. All the planks are broken. It wasn't designed well. It's falling apart. There are demons howling across that bridge, and you don't know how you're going to get from your anxiety to God. It seems absolutely impossible. That, that, that's, that's the extremes in the room today. And I know for some of us, there's all kinds of reasons you can't get across that bridge. For me, it's a choice. For some of you here today, it's trauma in your past. For some of you today, your, your emotions just, they don't work right. And it's hard and it's difficult and you can't figure it out. And anxiety just seems to control you and you don't even know why. And so walking from anxiety to God is the hardest thing anybody could ever preach to you today. It's difficult. And it's okay that it's difficult. we got to walk across that bridge together. 
Whatever it takes to get you across the bridge, we got to get across the bridge. Because the reality is, we can't ignore our anxiety. You can't ignore it. It's, a, it's, it's ingrained in the universe so that you would look to God. And the other thing is, you can't smother it out with something other than God. You can't. We got to walk across the bridge. We got to get from our anxiety and fear to God. So, whatever it takes, whether you're a person you need to get off your phone, you get off social media, you need to exercise more, you need a better diet, you need more rest, you need counseling, you need to help mentally, whatever it is, we got to get across the bridge. Why? Because you need God and you need Christ. That's what you need more than anything. When our humanness scares us and the brokenness of the world absolutely terrifies us, we need God. We need God. And so how are we going to get across that bridge? Well, Paul says the gospel. Look to the gospel. Security in the kingdom. And prayer. We got to get to prayer. We got to get to the feet of the Father in prayer. When you're terrified about your kid's safety, you got to get to God in prayer somehow. That next doctor's appointment, paralyzing you in fear, you got to get to God somehow, some way. You may have to have other people pulling you along, but we got to get to God in prayer. When your job's in question, you got to get to God in prayer. When your marriage seems unstable, you got to get to God in prayer. We got to get there. We can't give up. We got to fight and we got to get there. Why? Verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is a promise from God's word. That's a promise. It's not a tip for living, not good advice. Joy in the gospel, security in the kingdom, before the Father in prayer, notice where it ends, peace. Even saying the word peace. Peace is available to those and their joy in the gospel, security in the kingdom, and in prayer before the Father. But notice the kind of peace we get, peace of God. The word peace means no war. No chaos. It's two parties that have been reconciled. The Old Testament talks about shalom, the people of God in the lamb, land with God, and there's no war. They're just at rest. And here, the peace of God comes from prayer, comes from trusting in the gospel, security in the kingdom. And so what is the peace of God? There's a lot of ways to define it, but ultimately, the peace of God is the peace that the Father and the Son enjoy. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. And they are in perfect harmony together. And that is the peace that comes from the gospel, kingdom, and prayer. And notice how he describes this peace. It exceeds. It, it transcends. It surpasses all comprehension. All understanding. What we see. And what we feel. You may see horrible things and you may feel horrible things. There's something beyond that. Even as you see and feel those horrible things, there is a peace that transcends all of that. And notice he says, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Your heart, 
How you decide things. How you feel, your mind, the way you think about things. It is the peace of God that will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so what is this peace in prayer? Is it just a state of mind where all of a sudden, whoa, I'm relaxed. Chill. Is it just some sort of mental state, some transcendental nothingness that all of a sudden overcomes me? Is it that all of a sudden I took this to pray, I took this to God in prayer and I don't feel anxious anymore? Is that the peace? No, God, you fixed the problem. Now I'm at peace. What is the peace that comes when we pray? Notice he says, in Christ Jesus. It is the gospel that brings peace in your prayer. We talked about this. Prayer is the act of the gospel. Whereby cross righteousness of Christ, I'm accepted as a son in the son. And so now I stand before the God of this universe and I say, Father, that's the peace right there. That you would bow your head once an enemy of God, raging against him in your sin. I'm going to do whatever I want. You should be wiped out by hell, by his wrath. And now you stand before him as a son. And the writer of Hebrews says you can boldly approach his throne of grace. That's the peace when you bow your head that you are accepted by the Father and you get to pray to him. That is the peace of the gospel that is to overwhelm us when we pray. Why? We can't pray unless we are a son, unless we are a daughter, unless we are a child of God. We can't do that. And so that is the peace. Outside of your prayer closet, those problems will still exist. And whatever problem you're anxious about right now, if it goes away, there will be another one to replace it. And sometimes you're going to have to fight anxiety. And some of us are going to have to fight anxiety to the day we die. And so what is the peace in that? As I fight anxiety... I get to talk to God as my father. I get him in my saddest moments. I get him in the most unstable, insecure times in human history. Guess what? You get him. You get God as your father. As your soul at times rages against yourself. Guess what? What's the peace in that? You still have God as your father. And it's the same way you run to that friend. And it's the same way you pick up your phone and you call that grandparent, that parent. And just talking to them makes things better. That's the peace in prayer. Your soul is churning in fear and you're scared to death. But you're just like that child as the waves are crushing them and they are scared to death, but they are more scared to let go of their father's hand than they are the wave. 
It's what it means to fight anxiety in prayer. Is that God is your father. I've just resigned myself to the fact that I'm going to fight this the rest of my life. Until the things that scare me go away. But you know what? The things that scare me the most have already gone away in Christ. My sin, death. My father wants me to believe that. And the truth is, he's not going away.